You are a storyteller, and you're both the main character and the author of your story. Are you ready to pick up the pen and decide how your story goes? Welcome to the Rewriting Myth Podcast, where we use mindset, spirituality, myths, legends, and history to craft your personal mythology and spark a paradigm shift from within. Let's dive in. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Rewriting Myth. This one is one I'm calling the Promethean Consequence, and I can't wait to get into it because Prometheus is one of my favorite characters from the Greco-Roman mythologies, but more so than just his story, today I really want to focus on the effect of what he did for humanity and how that translates into the modern world today. So I'm really excited to get into all of that. I'll have a few things listed in the footnotes that go along with this episode on my Substack. So if you'd like to get into any more details about what I mentioned on the show, like the TED Talk that I'm about to reference or things like that, you can just check out the link in the show notes or just head over to my Substack at uh, monicafrederick.substack.com. All right, let's get into it. So learning and broadening your knowledge is the most crucial endeavor anyone can do for themselves, I think. Now, this is coming from somebody who didn't value education much when she was able to go to school and now as a adult in her 30s um, who has experienced uh, the incredible weight of student debt and um, all of that kind of stuff looking back on my time in college and my time in high school oh I would have been a much better student and I would have appreciated the value of education and the fact that I was able to do it for the time that I did. Anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, any of my regrets or anything like that. We're here to talk about what the power of knowledge is, whether or not you went to college or you had to drop out like I did or anything like that. We're going to go into all of that today. And like I said, I think that learning is something that is really crucial for any of us to do. And when I think about advocacy for education, which is a really hot topic for the last couple of decades, I'd say, but especially more recently. I think of somebody like Malala Yousafzai or Rita Pearson with her TED Talk, Every Kid Needs a Champion, which I have linked. You should definitely check it out. It's a good one. But yet as widely accepted as a yearning for education is, there's always been this staunch opposition from creating accessible education from powerful groups like the Taliban, of course, in Malala's case, or lobbying against canceling student debt. We see a lot of that, especially with the uh, recent overturning and um, things like that from the Supreme Court that has come up when it comes to canceling student loan debt. Um, You see it from this staunch opposition from organized religions and world governments like For example, in the U.S. with some particular states opposing updating the curriculum to include topics like critical race theory or any of the states with really aggressive book bans, you see this opposition to being able to have access to this type of education in many different areas. And I see a common theme come up again and again from those who wish to limit access to knowledge or only sup- supply like a sanitized version of a curriculum. It's always these powerful organizations or individuals who are members of these organizations. And we see this trope play out in many narratives throughout time, all the way back to the ancient world. Like in Genesis 2.17 in the Abrahamic text, 
with God's reaction to Adam and Eve eating from the fruit of the knowledge tree, or in ancient Greek mythology with Zeus's intense and swift punishment of the Titan god Prometheus, which is where we're going to stay mostly here today in this episode. So briefly, in this mythology, Prometheus, who is really the god of foresight and um, just a sense of innate wisdom, I think, he felt pity for the cold and starving humans of old with their limited access to tools and their lack of fire, and he decided to give them fire, going directly against Zeus's wishes. And Prometheus had a soft spot for humans, as he had previously helped them outsmart the supreme god Zeus before. And this is back when humans were debating what cut of meat to sacrifice to the gods and what cut of meat to give to themselves. And so Prometheus had helped the humans hide the edible meat with the intestines of the sacrificed animal being wrapped around the bones and the carcasses in the glistening fat. So that way, when Zeus had his options between the pretty glistening fat wrapped ones and the ones where they wrapped the good edible meat in intestines and things like that, Zeus went after the prettier looking one. He based his decision off of appearance. And if you know anything about Greek mythology, then you know that's something that he does quite often. So after realizing he had been tricked and probably with an incredibly bruised and sore ego, Zeus took fire away from the humans. An interesting point to make here is that Zeus had styled himself as not only the head god, the supreme god of all the other Olympian gods and all of the other members of the Greek pantheon, he had styled himself as a wise god as well. So you'll hear Homeric poems call him the Meditai, which I may have been pronouncing incorrectly, but this translates loosely into the wise counselor. And Hesiod, who is an archaic poet, so this is about um, a few hundred years before the classical authors like Sophocles and Aeschylus and Euripides and all of those guys. So when Hesiod was writing, he wrote about Zeus in a similar way. And he tells us the story about how he gained his wisdom from devouring his first wife, Metis, whose name loosely means wisdom, cunning, things like that. Zeus had gotten his knowledge as you would get nutrients from a sandwich, from literally absorbing them from the person he ate. He, he absorbed this wisdom from Metis. And undoubtedly, this plays a factor in the intense punishment that he subjected Prometheus to. When a god of forethought outwits the mightiest god who obtained his wisdom by questionable means, there are bound to be ego problems that come up. And I'm also thinking of the one-eyed wisdom-obsessed supreme god of the Norse pantheon Odin here as well. And this is pure fantasy, but when I'm thinking about the relationship between Zeus and Metis and all of that, and I think about Metis who is still trapped in Zeus's stomach, I like to hope that she was able to see her cousin and fellow titan of wisdom Prometheus outwit her captor multiple times. There's always that possibility in mythology that there are stories that didn't survive down to us because, of course, mythology is just a, a collection of stories that people told each other over and over again that really kind of um, transcend just simple stories, right? And because of their oral nature behind these, these people would tell these stories to each other orally 
it's a possibility that there's so many more out there that just simply never got written down. So I like to I like to hope that there was one that people told about each other about Metis after she was swallowed. I hope she got some retribution in some stories anyway. Back to the main point. As Prometheus had again helped humans by gifting them the knowledge of fire, previously only accessible to the gods, Zeus was furious. This was the second time that Prometheus had outwitted him, and it was the second time that he had helped humans, the lesser beings, when it comes to humans versus gods. The humans were always a lesser version of them. The proverbial cat was out of the bag, or to use a more ironic or colloquial mistranslation, Pandora's box had been opened. Now, of course, Pandora's box is a mistranslation. It should be Pandora's jar, but we won't get into that here. That powerful knowledge was out, and it was accessible to the masses. It was no longer reserved for a group of, a very small group of extremely powerful individuals. After knowing all of this, what is relevant about a few pagan gods from millennia ago squabbling about fire, right? Well, in psychological terms, or really on an individual level, we can see this type of knowledge gathering and education as a form of self-actualization. Someone getting into touch with their inner truth and more deeply understanding the world around them could certainly be relevant here. Carl Jung, a psychoanalyst from the 20th century, talked about what he called the Promethean guilt, essentially having Zeus as a representation of the unconscious and Prometheus as a representation of the conscious. Jung said, quote, Something that was the property of the unconscious powers is torn out of its natural context and subordinated into the whims of the conscious mind, unquote. When it comes to knowledge leading to self-actualization, I would agree here. However, I think it's more of an apt example if we're talking about Eve from Genesis playing the role of the conscious and God playing the role of the unconscious. But I digress. On a grander scale, this Prometheus versus Zeus conflict and the struggle to share knowledge with the masses really reminds me of government and corporate whistleblowers and the brutal punishment that usually comes to them after the fact, after they reveal some key knowledge and make it accessible to the public. They are always swiftly punished afterwards, almost always, at least as far as I know. So this Promethean consequence, as I call it, is also visible in authoritarian governments and their propaganda. Now, make it a side note here, this is not to be confused with the Promethean cause or the Promethean gap, which is related more to technology and technology outpacing human's ability and things like that. You can look it up if you'd like to be more curious about that. But so I don't want to make it confused here. What I'm referring to is what happens when we are able to take knowledge from that small select group of extremely powerful individuals and make it accessible to the public. And when I think about how this type of consequence, this type of effect, in a sense, is also is very visible in the authoritarian governments and their propaganda, things like that. I always think, I always remember, it's like, Sometimes it just takes one person in a crowd to share objections or question the system for the propaganda's house to, of cards to completely collapse, really. So what's the big picture here? 
ever since the TikTok trend of how often men think about the Roman Empire and then the subsequent response of women pondering what their version of the Roman Empire is for them, I've been thinking a lot about what my version of that is, what my version of the thing that I kind of think about every day or that takes up space in my mind rent-free. And admittedly, I'm fascinated by the Romans. I do think about them every day, but again, again, I'm entrenched into the ancient world, so it's kind of hard for me not to be. But if I were to think seriously about this, I would say that Prometheus, and really more accurately for me, Eve from Genesis is my version of the Roman Empire trend. I think about her and Prometheus almost every day. And as far as Eve goes, she's the one in the Abrahamic texts that delivers humans from ignorance. Um, she delivers the knowledge of what God knows, in a sense, to humans, kind of shortens that separation between divinity and humanity, in a sense that the God of that text was not here for, in a sense. And in his own way, I think Prometheus did that as well. You know what they say, ignorance is said to be bliss, but is it really? Is it though? I don't think so. Bliss is not living in a sanitized and curated world with limited access to knowledge that only a few select individual and influential people at the top decide is acceptable for everyone else to know. Do we really want to live in a pristine but ultimately fake version of reality? The Garden of Eden may have been a beautiful sight, but there is something to be said about the raw beauty of nature and the way it bursts with vitality versus this manicured garden meant to look perfect but doesn't actually support life. That's something that sticks with me as I think about making this type of knowledge and this type of wisdom accessible to the masses. How about you? All right, folks, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. If you enjoyed what you heard on today's episode, then I invite you to take this work further and continue the conversation over on Instagram or threads. I'm at monica.frederick.writes on both. And if you're ready to really start the rewriting myth process for yourself and catch up on past episodes and newsletters, then subscribe to my Substack newsletter at monicafrederick.substack.com. There, you can access private chats and resources that I only share with my newsletter subscribers. And you can learn how to work with me directly to help facilitate the rewriting myth process and implement what you learn here on the podcast. Check out the links in the show notes to get started.